0: Welcome to the podcast of the Preaching Ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, it is just a pleasure to be able to be with you this morning. Uh, just really feel humbled to have the opportunity. Uh, having completed one service already, I'm realizing two things. Uh, number one, I'm not as cool as Chad. Uh, I thought maybe I would maybe untuck my shirt, and you guys would think I was a little cooler. Uh, but I'm not here to win a popularity contest necessarily, uh, and I'm not as tough as Pastor Lane. Uh, so. That's a little bit about me. You're starting to get to know me just a hair, uh, but I am absolutely uh, just uh, thrilled to be able to be with you this morning. Um, always, already had a great introduction, a little bit from Pastor Lane there, but we are a church planting family. Uh, a church planter is basically a missionary in Montana. Um, and just thrilled to be here with my wife and three kids. Uh, my kids are probably loving that kids ministry back there. Um, but if you don't mind, I want to just take a minute before uh, we get to the, the word of God to introduce us and just a little bit about uh, who we are and what we're doing. Uh, I'm originally from Wyoming, uh, so we moved a little bit further north after seminary uh, and uh, really started feeling that call from the Lord uh, to just plant a church. And uh, a a call to plant a church is really interesting because it starts fairly wide as a vision, and then as you follow the Lord in that, it gets narrower and, and narrower. And eventually, by about two, or 2014 and 2015, uh, God be- began to really form that call to the city, uh, and more importantly, the, the, the people in Helena, Montana, and uh, for us to just plant our lives and our hearts uh, there and uh, just follow the Lord and be faithful in that. Um, and as our preparation continued, uh, and, and as God was revealing the need in Helena to us, uh, we really just started to see this ever-expanding uh, population of young families. Uh, so just a little bit about our church. Uh, we are a, a young church in the fact of our age, how long we've been around, uh, but also just uh, by, by and large, we're a young congregation. Uh, over half our church is kiddos. Uh, our, our kiddos are a big part of that, uh, but just for example, uh, we're having our child dedication coming up, which they're announcing this morning, uh, almost as I speak, uh, but uh, we're gonna, we have six newborns from the last several months uh, at Capstone, uh, us being one of those couples included in that. Um, so we are a young church um, <clears throat> And we're just really excited about uh, what God is doing. Uh, One special note that I wanna just share right now about this is uh, today's kind of a special day for us. Uh, but uh, on Easter Sunday, uh, six years ago, April 16th, you know how that changes every year? April 16th, which is today, six years ago, we officially launched Capstone Church. So today is our sixth birthday as a church, and uh, we're just thrilled about that. And just kind of the cool side note, a story from that, uh, my, my oldest, Grayson, uh, turned six yesterday. So if you're starting to put that together, uh, I was at the hospital before we officially birthed our church uh, having, one of, having our first child. Uh, so I left, I went and preached. I don't have a clue what I preached. I preached way too long and I went back and I gathered Courtney from the hospital and went home uh, for Easter lunch with family and uh, dignitaries from the state convention and everything like that. Uh, so we are thrilled uh, to be six years old. As a church, we're, uh, we're a growing church. We minister to about 150 people. Uh, That's much larger than a lot of the churches in our region. Uh, And we've already baptized four people this year. Uh, Just to kind of put that into perspective, I said this in the first service, but nine out of 10 people in Montana do not have a relationship with the Lord. And I wanna be really clear about that. I, I say it that way because it's not just people that believe there's a God but people that have a relationship with Christ. Only only one out of 10 people is walking with him. So the the lostness is prevalent there. And uh, as a church, we primarily focus on three things. A vibrant, biblically-based Sunday worship, Uh, we have intentional discipleship, and then we just wanna be visible in our community impact. We want our community to know we're there and to know what we're about. So that's just a little bit of who we are and um, what we're doing. But just to to kind of sum this up, right, if I had to sum up church planting, if you want to know a little bit of what comes right off of my heart when I think about it, uh, a few things come to mind. First of all, uh, planting is harder than I ever imagined. Pastor Lane could probably attest to this. Man, it's been a lot harder than, than people warned me about church planting, especially in our neck of the woods. But the other thing I, I, I know from church planting is sin is deeper than I originally thought. Like I knew it was a problem, but sin is much deeper uh, than, than, than I first realized all right, Alright, so, so we're thinking about these things, and, and, and even thinking along the lines of sin in church planting, it makes it really clear, like, you're right in the mud with people, and people struggle more than they let on, right? So, so we've had this experience, church planting. But the other thing, more importantly, what I want you to know about church planting, first of all, in the midst of these things, is that prayer is more powerful than we realize. You can say amen to that, Right? right Christ loves people no matter how deep their sin is how 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 hard their struggle is Christ loves people stronger than we often feel right and most importantly God is still calling those who are far from him to come alive in his grace so that's how i would describe church planting now in that what i want us to look at this morning is we're going to look at our focus verse at capstone Uh, We're going to be in the book of Colossians, Colossians 1. You can start turning there. And this is what I've kind of put before our church. It's funny, at church, in the church, uh, honestly, our vision doesn't ever really change. It's really always the same thing, but we've got got a, a whole Bible of verses that will help us formulate that vision. But Colossians 1, and our focus verse at Capstone is and has been, Uh, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. So we're gonna start with that and then I wanna open this up a little bit. But if you are there, Colossians 1, you can read along as I read this out loud. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us starting in verse 28. He says, we proclaim him. Now I gotta pause right there for just a minute. I have this highlighted in my Bible and I wrote a note in the margin, right? I made the point that he must be preached, Or to put that in more familiar terms, you and I must tell the story of who Jesus is. But Paul continues, he says, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And then he says, To this end I labor. Struggling with all his energy, which is powerfully, which so powerfully works in me. This is the vision of Capstone. And the thrust of this idea is that we are proclaiming Christ. We are striving as a church planting couple, as a church as a whole. We are striving to this end. And that is the focus of our ministry this year. I've even preached this same passage to our church in Montana, and, and frankly, there's a lot here, and we're going to kind of spend this morning opening it up just a little bit, but I wanted to give you a sum, summary. As you're looking at this, as you're seeing the vision, the charge that I've given to Capstone Church in Helena, Montana, I want you to understand this. We are the same, Right? whether we're Life Point in Ozark, Missouri, or Capstone Church in Montana, we are the same. We are the church. We're together on this. And this challenges us in a multitude of ways, right? We get that idea when, when we're looking, even at verse 28, it says, who? Not me, not I, we proclaim him. What I'm saying is, as we're looking at this charge, To be on mission for the Lord, we are in the crosshairs. That's what we're seeing from this passage this morning, right? It challenges us in that way. Right, Our calling is the same. Our savior is the same. Our mission is the same. So here's the simple theme I want us to grab a hold of that we're gonna take away from this this morning. We together are the church and therefore we are a saved people and we are a sent people. That's what we're gonna see. So now that you have that, let's get after what Paul tells us this morning. Here in Colossians 1 If you look around at this passage in the first part of Colossians 1, it's just a beautiful Christological hymn, right? It's probably the most glorious picture of who Jesus is and what he's done in all of scripture. In fact, I'll give you a little side charge this morning. If you want to memorize one chapter of the Bible, if you haven't done that before, you're like, man, that's a lot, but it's an awesome thing if you do it. Uh, Memorize Colossians 1 because of what it tells us about Jesus, what we see in Jesus right here. It's beautiful. And even kind of think about it this way, Paul is basically singing a song. We don't think of Paul that way very often, but he's basically singing a song that is exalting in his Savior, Jesus Christ. Right And without really taking the time to dive into this, I'm fighting every urge as a preacher uh, to not go 20 minutes too long and really dive into this because this is a whole awesome sermon in its own right. But, but without going there, here's the point. Christ should not just be prominent, but he should be preeminent in our lives. I know those are big words, again, I could preach on this all morning, but the point is this, Jesus and what he does in our lives isn't just one of the good things that we have, he is the best thing, he is the only thing, he's not just a prominent thing, he is the the top thing, the preeminent thing, that's what Paul is setting this up with. He's exalting in who Christ is. Oh, well, another way to say this is us as the church, with us as the, the in the crosshairs for Paul right here, Christ is the blazing center of anything that we should be or we should be doing, right? The, this motivation brings us back to our text this morning. And what we're going to do is I want us to pick up in verse 21 and see how Paul is going to walk us through this vision that I've not only laid out for capstone this year, but I'm starting to lay out for you this morning. So back to verse 21, look at verse 21 and see how Paul is gonna open up our points this morning. He starts, he says, "'Once you were alienated from God "'and were enemies in your minds "'because of your evil behavior, "'but now he has reconciled you "'by Christ's physical body through death "'to present you holy in his sight.'" without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul makes it really simple for us. He says it right here. In that verse 23, he says, This is the gospel. He's laying out the gospel. He's painting the picture of what the gospel is. And this is such a great text. So meaningful. So many meaningful ideas here. But let's take this kind of one verse at a time, right? Start by noticing verse 21 again. Notice how he starts, right? He does this fairly often and he talks in the past tense, but he says, once you were alienated right? Paul does this. He starts with the bad. He kind of sets us up. He's saying, hey, this is how it was. And right here we need to remember this is a a letter to a group of believers, right? The the church at Colossae. But what's also important about these letters, the way they function even back then is they they circulated and they've circulated so much they've come down to us throughout the ages. So it's also a letter to us. And what Paul's doing and starting this way is he's reminding them Now, in fact, I would say he's actually giving them a vision of who they were. And more importantly, he's going to move on to what the gospel has done in their lives. That fact of the past tense is important, right? He's saying that their former condition was desperate. He's saying you were alienated. He's saying that same thing to us. We were far removed from everything good that is in God, right? And this is such an interesting idea. Verse 21, he always he uses another word, too. He uses the word enemy, right? Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in evil behavior. That's something we don't like to think about. right? Like We, we like to think of ourselves as a friend of God, but we don't often think of ourselves as an enemy of God. It's kind of a heavy thing Paul is pointing us to Right? And in and, and thinking about it, he says it right here, they were enemies, we were enemies in two ways. First again, look at that verse 21. He says, first, in their minds they were opposed to God. That means in their thinking, and we could even kind of add our heart to that. Before Christ, in our minds, in our hearts, we are enemies with God. We willingly assume an anti-God posture. The Colossians were doing it right here. But notice what he also includes here. Not only were they enemies in thought, but also in their deeds. Right? He says, because of your evil behavior. Right. So he's kind of including both aspects to show that it wasn't just one little part of this or a, a, a little bit of the way. He's saying they didn't just wrongly think against God as an enemy, but we acted wrongly too, right? In the former condition, right, the the possibility of reconciliation, that is a right relationship with God, really seemed remote. I like how one commentator puts it. He says the Colossians were once continuously and persistently out of harmony with God. That's what he means when he says that we were enemies of God. But look at what happens next. Continue to read. I love when we're looking through scripture, the but gods. Look at verse 22. Paul says this great. He says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his height without blemish and free from accusation. Again, remember what Paul told us. He's teaching us, right? He's showing us the gospel. Right? He's saying God's answer to alienation, God's answer to us being enemies is reconciliation, and it's a reconciliation on the cross, right? Easter was last weekend, amen, right? We celebrate that reconciliation and what he's done for us. This is huge. I want to be really clear about this. God didn't just come and meet us halfway. God doesn't do halvesies with us. It's not like we kind of clean up our act a little bit, like we clean up our thought process, we clean up our our actions a little bit, and then we kind of meet God part way. No, he's saying God came all the way. The gospel means that he came to us as enemies. When we were unlovely, he loved us to make us lovely. And that picture is amazing. That is the gospel, right? That's God's answer to us being far from him. So now like the Colossians, if we are in Christ, our new condition, our gospel condition is one of reconciliation. We owe our salvation to the initiative of God. I love the phrase, Jesus died for a race of failures and rebels. Yeah, I just called you a failure and a rebel, right? Of failures and rebels to offer them a chance to become his allies. Jesus has brought us from death to life. He saves us. That is the gospel. So right here, the thing I want us to take away from just this first part is that we live as a saved people, confident of what Christ has done. We're talking about mission. We're talking about vision, right? And the first part of this is we live as a saved people, and our confidence comes from that. Right? We need to regularly remember the fact of the gospel, and here's, here's why. If we don't remember this story in our lives, how we were like the Colossians, if we don't continue to come back to the gospel, we might get confused on what actually saves us, right? If we only focus on our morality or even the good life or happiness alone, we're going to miss the mark, Right? The, the, the light and the truth of the gospel turning on in our hearts, God doing that is what changes us for the, be- the better. Not buckling down or getting a grip or just creating the right amount of discipline, right? In his vision for us, God doesn't want us to just be better. He ju- doesn't want us just to be good er. That's the word right there, Lane, right? He doesn't want us to be gooder. We can't just beast mode this. There's a lot of things that I think I can go beast mode on. We can't go beast mode on this. It's about what God does. All of our confidence should be in Christ. right? He wants us to be saved. wants us to be redeemed, to be reconciled. So here's why I'm getting at this. We need to be thinking, what is the gospel in my life? We need to know the story well. Right? Think of some of the stories we tell. We tell stories of significant things that happen, right? There's stories that I like to talk about. I played a little college football. I wasn't a quarterback and I wasn't D1, really. So uh not that impressive, right? Or like the big trout that I've caught. Like I've spent a little time on the river with Pastor Lane. And I like to brag, I won't brag about our trip because I didn't catch anything on our trip, right? I like to brag about big fish. Some of you guys, I don't care about your fish. Right? I think those are stories to tell, but when I'm really honest about that and I start to think about it, the story that actually comes to mind is a story my grandmother told often. I had the immense pleasure uh, of, of actually doing her funeral last year in May. But my grandmother was a, a, a three time, she, she fought breast cancer three times, right? And, 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 and to be somebody that survived cancer, right? Like I come across, I'm, I'm going to tell the story of these trout I've caught. I'm gonna tell a story of my glory days of playing some college football. Really wasn't that glorious. But she has a story about how she fought cancer and kind of had this, this death uh, you know, prognosis and fought that cancer and beat it, right? She would tell people she had the pink ribbons all over her house and she loved to recall the stories of God's grace in that moment of fighting, of coming from death to life in the face of cancer. Here's my point. If Christ brings us from death to life, we certainly have a story to tell. Much better than the stories we think we have on our own. So what Paul's doing right here is he's reciting that story, showing them, saying, hey, you need to know this real experience that you've had with the gospel. And he's saying, we need this too. So my question from this first point is, what is your story in the gospel? and that story injects us with confidence we need to preach that to ourselves we need to remind ourselves of how undeserving we are of that grace but also how blessed we are to actually receive it At the same time I need to pause right here could have come in the door I want to be really clear this morning you could have come in the door this morning and I know we're at church but you could have come in the door this morning and you might might be thinking well I don't really have that story I don't have the story of a reconciliation, of, the, of God's grace coming into my life. And I would say the reason that you might not have that story is you've maybe never came to that point where you've surrendered your life to him. That's what scripture tells us to do, right? We accept by faith that grace that God has given you. So just simply right here, what I wanna say is is if you need to come find me, if you don't have that story, if you need to come find me, if you need to come find Pastor Lane or one of the other pastors here this morning and you wanna figure out what that story is in your life, we'll sit down and walk you through what that looks like. But I wanna just offer that invitation to you. Figure out what that story is. And if you have that story, you've gotta rehearse that to yourself and remember it and be ready to share it but from here, Paul now addresses the Colossians' responsibility, right? And that's the second thing we need to see right here. So the second thing I want us to take away from this is because we are a saved people, we are a sent people. What I'm saying in this is that God, God's vision is that we would do something with our faith. We must go with the gospel, We must do something with that story. We must be active with it. When I think of being active, that activation, right? I think of uh, baked goods, kind of going back to my grandmother, right? Anybody else love baked goods? You can say amen right there. Yeah. I love me some baked goods. Well, at Christmas time, uh, all the ladies in the house went to do, I think they went to get a pedicure or something, so they weren't in the house, and me and my dad were, me and my dad and brother were left to raise the, the roll, let them raise, rise, raise the rolls for Christmas dinner. Uh, let me just be honest, I don't, I'm not an expert at raising rolls, but we were left to do that, right? right you know how it does it with yeast and everything. But something we messed up by the time those things were supposed to be raised, my wife can attest to it, we no longer had a bunch of separate rolls. We had one big loaf in the pan. We did something wrong with raising those rolls. But how does that work? That is yeast. Usually that's what makes baked goods rise. And what's the key with yeast? It's an activation There's two things that I've, I had to Google it to figure it out, but there's two things that make yeast rise, right? It's warmth and sugar when that yeast gets in there and gets going on that stuff. It is activated. It does what it's supposed to do. It's an active yeast. I share this story because I think Paul is saying that gospel in your life needs to activate some action and get you going, right? He uses his own ministry as an example, right? He says there's an effect to Christ's gospel in your life, Look how he describes it, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. He's saying it's been activated, there's, it's doing something, and he rejoices in it. But there's some effects from that activation. The first effect of his ministry is kind of a sub-point for this second point. And the thing we see right here that he's telling us is that saved people suffer for Christ. What this means is it's hard work. It's not easy in serving Christ in this way. Think more along the lines of struggling, striving. Church planting has not been easy, right? And it's a struggle first because of our own reluctance to let Christ change us and shape us. Anybody kind of struggle with Christ sometimes? The Lord making you into who you need to be, right? That's the first reason it's a struggle. Right, but Paul also suffered because it was hard to convince people of the truth of their need for the gospel. People, again, are naturally enemies to this. Right, The world is naturally opposed to the good news of Christ, but he uses an interesting phrase here. He says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. It's not as if Paul somehow makes up for Christ or completes his work. Rather, he's saying he took the blows for my sin, and I will take the blows for his witness. It's a way of saying that he identifies in his work with Christ, right? But here it kind of poses the question for us. What if following Christ, what if going with the gospel being sent is never hard? I'm not saying you go look for some struggle and some hard things, but what if it's never hard, right? See, I think this tells us something. Following Christ closely will at times prove difficult only because Christ himself pursued and is pursuing the most difficult people and circumstances. That's why it might be a struggle. But then this adds to the next part. Not only will saved people suffer, but saved people as they're activated will serve people with the gospel. Look at verses 24 and 25 again. It says, now I rejoice in that what was surrendered for you. He continues on verse 25. I have become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, right? He's using that word servant there. And let me remind you, Jesus died for a race of rebels to offer them a chance to become his allies, right? We are sent to share this glorious truth with others, to serve them with this truth. Some versions even say minister, But don't be confused, serving Christ is not an optional action, right? And as we're thinking about this, there's really two people that we serve with the gospel that we seek to do uh, this with. First of all is lost people, people who are far from God. And the other ones are people in the church. We serve one another with the truth of the gospel. So saving people, our sent people are suffering for Christ and uh, serve for Christ. But from here... 27, verse 27 sums this up. He says, To them, God has chosen to make known among the, the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the kicker for this vision. Christ lives with any within anyone who follows him. He is our only hope of glory. And what is this glory? So think about it, God's glory is actually kind of impossible to define. It's kind of hard to put words to. But here's what I kind of think Paul is saying right here. In one way, he's saying you and I cannot grab glory for ourselves. All right, so as I, as I start to kind of land this plane, I, I want to think about it this way. I don't know if you know some history about Montana, but, but Butte is just down the road from Helena. And Butte is where evil Knievel is from. Right? The 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 daredevil, the rebel, the 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 motorcycle jumping, right? I I looked this up a little bit. He jumped buses, he jumped snakes, I think he tried to jump sharks, right? He jumped the Snake Canyon or attempted to. Right, but we're talking about this idea of glory, and Evil Knievel was really quite a glory seeker. And there's two quotes that I think really paint the picture. The first from Evil Knievel himself. Right? You don't have to write this down. It's probably not a good uh, quote to remember from the sermon this morning. But this is what he said. Bones heal, chicks dig scars, pain is temporary, and glory is forever. Right? Evil Knievel was trying to grab his own glory. Almost seems a little bit opposite of what Paul is sharing with us right here. But then the theologians at the History Channel actually kind of caught a pretty good little nugget about Evil Knievel, and it's more theologically uh, in depth than they probably realized. But the History Channel said this about Evil Knievel. They said, Daredevil motorcyclist Evil Knievel, the godfather of extreme sports, struggled for much of his ca- career, hear this, with an internal con- conflict staying rich and famous versus staying alive, right? I read that, and that is ironically what I think we face when it comes to our own glory. Right? Trying to be rich, rich and famous and really holding on to where the true life comes from. In Christ Jesus. So what I'm saying is there's a constant struggle between my glory and my having life, but Christ in us obtains for us the glory we can never obtain on our own. So when we're talking about vision, this, again, is the blazing center of uh, any vision that we have. That object is Christ, right? Deeper, more loving, more satisfying, longer lasting than any glory we gain for ourselves. Everything you and my heart could ever long for, for ever is caught up in Christ we are sent we suffer we serve for the glory of him and not of us so i just want to finish with this idea you've probably heard it before but missions exist where worship doesn't missions exist where people's hearts don't experience the glory of the gospel Right, It's clear this morning we're planting in Montana because there are a great number of people who do not worship our Savior, Jesus Christ, there. But it's also clear that we're in Ozark, Missouri, this morning. However, the truth is the same right here. What are you doing with that glorious truth? What are you doing in response to that? It's not just for church planters in Montana You, if you are in Christ, have a story to tell, the story of what Christ has done. Now don't get me wrong, I certainly want you to come to Montana and help us tell that story to the lost people there. But let me be crystal clear, you don't have to go all the way across the country to start telling that story. Who needs to hear the story of the glory of God's grace right here in Ozark, Missouri? Who do you need to go to and serve with the truth of his grace and his gospel? If you are in Christ, you are saved. And more importantly, you are sent. Will you go with me?